You know, back almost 10 years ago, um, poker was getting really big. I don't know if you guys were around for the poker boom, uh, but I remember it felt like everyone was playing poker. You know, everyone was just playing poker. And almost 10 years ago now, I remember for a friend's birthday party, we got together at a mutual friend's apartment uh, for a poker game. And so we decided to play poker all together. The friend in question, uh, he was someone who attended the church that I was serving at. Uh, I was a youth pastor at the time. And he worked for a nonprofit organization uh, connected to the church. And so he would always be working at church. We'd always you know, meet up together, have lunch. Um, so he had a lot of friends on staff as well. Um, so including an associate pastor and also the missions director of the church. And so we're all in attendance at this birthday party along with uh, many other people. At some point in the night, um, as we're playing poker, you know, the host, uh, whoever, whoever's apartment it was, he brought out some beer. And so we celebrated our dear friend's birthday together. And we're saying cheers, clinking bottles together, um, you know, since drinking alcohol is not a sin in and of itself, right? But drunkenness is, okay? I offered one to another friend uh, who had kind of come in a little bit later uh, during the night. Uh, we'll just call him Jack, okay? So he paused for a few moments. He was just kind of staring at the bottle for quite a while. And then he looked at me. And he was just looking at me for a little while. Then he looked at the associate pastor. And then he looked at the missions director. And then he took the beer. And the night just kind of went on from there, okay? Uh, the night wound down. We were all starting to kind of, you know, leave the apartment. And as people were kind of going um, to the subway and different places, one of our friends asked to speak to us privately. So Bora and I, we were both there. Uh, she asked to speak with us privately. And outside the apartment, you know, she pulls us aside and she tells us, hey, so I don't know if you know this, but Jack, uh, he probably shouldn't have had that beer. He's actually, you know, had a bit of a past. He was a former alcoholic who had stayed completely away from that stuff. And so any kind of drinking for him was a bit of a stumbling block. Okay, and so we didn't know this. So on my way home, I remember my mind was a bit of a blur, okay? And part of me was like, you know, like Bora and I are still talking, but part of me was just like in my own head, just theologically justifying what had just happened. Like, hey, was I in the right? Like, I'm just thinking to myself, was I sinning just now? Like, what happened, you know? Because for me, I knew that the Bible, it condemned drunkenness, and I knew that I hadn't gone into drunkenness. And we, I had one beer, okay? And so, you know, it didn't necessarily condemn one drink, I guess, depending on, you know, what kind of person you are. Uh, the Apostle Paul even told Timothy to drink wine. You know, Jesus himself, he's at a wedding, and he's turning water into wine. You know, he's celebrating with people. And so I'm going through these things one by one in my head, you know, throughout the Bible. My mind's racing through all of this. What I knew to be true in that moment, my knowledge started to justify my actions that night. My knowledge I felt, but didn't want to admit, was greater than the effect that my actions had on others. Was my rightness or my knowledge of greater importance than stumbling my brother in Christ? Let's read some scripture, okay? So 1 Corinthians 8, you can turn there with me or you can just look on screen behind me. We'll be reading from the CSB. 1 Corinthians 8 reads this. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We're not worse off if we don't eat it, and we're not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. And we pray for us. Uh, Father, we turn to you for wisdom. We turn to you and not towards our own hearts, which seek to justify us, which seek to become defensive. But Lord, we ask that you would strip us of our defenses, that you would help us, Lord, to lay down all arms, that you would help us, Lord, to lay down all knowledge that we might be able to receive the wisdom that you have for us. Holy Spirit, you have a wisdom that is beyond anything that we can muster up in the 30, 50, 60, however many years that we've been here on this earth. And we know, Lord, that you're eternal and your wisdom is eternal. And we know, Lord, that your ways are higher than ours, your thoughts higher than ours, and so we turn to you. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to change, that you would help us, Lord, to receive what it is that you have for us because it's better. We ask for your guidance this new year. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to love you more, that you would help us, Lord, to love your people more. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what's going on in this chapter? 1 Corinthians 8. What are Paul and the Corinthians talking about in this letter? What, what is food sacrificed to idols? If you've been around for the rest of our First Corinthians series so far, we went through a lot of this last year. You might feel like this is the furthest from our time and culture of all of the uh, passages that we've read so far. You know, like we shop at you know Woolies and Coles. You know, or if you're if you're a little bit uh, richer, maybe IGA. Okay, but we don't really eat at pagan temples. You know, we don't do that anymore, right? Like most of us don't. We just get our food from the same place. Most of us. But this section has a lot to guide us on, many things that believers might uh, debate about, that a lot of us might actually talk about. I don't know how you feel about alcohol. I don't know how you felt when I was just talking about having a beer 10 years ago. Like, maybe, you know, me being in the pulpit makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. Or maybe that would just be something that happens with the Korean congregation. 
This is being live streamed. I don't know if any of them will watch it. Maybe I'll get a talking to at some point, okay? But I don't know how you feel about movies and TV with adult content in it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, a lot of us talk about the shows that we stream. I don't know how you feel about some of these things. Like, if we're watching these things. I know how I feel if I'm watching something with my parents and some sort of scene comes up and I don't know where to look. I don't want to look at the TV. I don't want to look at them. Where do I look? I don't know how you feel about taking part in particular traditional rituals, like putting food on a table in front of a dead relative's picture. How do you feel about that? If how you feel about these things differs from person to person as well, because the person next to you might feel very differently than you about these things. Like maybe you feel okay about taking part in these things yourself. Like it's okay for you to watch these things. But then you'd feel really uncomfortable if it was your parents watching these things or if it was me watching these things. Would it stumble you if you found out that I was watching the same things that you were? If I was drinking the same things that you were? If I was taking the same substances that you guys were? Would that stumble you? This passage can help us as Christians to learn to be able to tell the difference between issues that we can agree on and that we can also disagree on. We can learn to agree to disagree about certain things so that we can learn to unite together in our diversity to grow in love and sympathy for one another, to respect one another's convictions about certain topics, to care for one another's spiritual health. And then there are also things that this passage brings up. It causes us to realize that there are certain things that need a clear rejection as well. These things that attack the core of Christian faith. So what exactly is this food sacrifice to idols? There are three main times and places where people ate food sacrifice to idols in this time. So if you were in a pagan temple and you went to the attached dining hall for a religious or a social event, a pagan uh, basically meaning whatever religion is outside of you know, the God that we believe in, okay? So if you were going to a religious or social event in a hall attached to this pagan temple, you'd be served food that had been sacrificed to the god of the temple. Obviously, this god didn't eat it, and so what are we gonna do with it? We're not gonna throw it out, it's perfectly good food, so you're gonna eat it. Otherwise, if you were invited by a pagan neighbor, someone that you knew to a dinner in their home, you'd probably be given food that was offered to whatever god they believed in, whatever god they worshiped, and they would probably do something like a little prayer in front of you or something, okay, similar to what we do when we pray for our meal or if you were just even buying food from the meat market. If you just went to the meat market, the woolies of that time, you would probably get something that had been sacrificed to an idol at some point. Because a lot of the meat that existed in this time, because meat was scarce, it had been sacrificed to an idol at some point. And then there are two categories of idolatry as well. There's subjective idolatry, where someone knows that a particular thing is idolatrous. Someone knows that what they're partaking in is idolatry, and then they still participate in it. And then there's objective idolatry, where someone might not understand that what they're doing is idolatrous, but yes, it is idolatrous, okay? Like, you might not know, okay, we won't get into specifics, okay. Those that are saying, we all have knowledge to Paul, which Paul quotes back to them, they might truly believe that everyone knows There's only one God. 
That's what they're saying. Everyone knows there's only one God. This is what they're saying in their, in their letter to Paul, and Paul is responding to this. And so idols must be meaningless. If everyone in our community knows there's only one God, what's the point of idols? And yet in their knowledge, they're ignorant to the fact that they're possibly leading others into subjective idolatry, and they themselves might be in danger of committing objective idolatry. So are they at fault? If they don't know what they're doing, are they at fault? When I stood in front of my friend's apartment in Korea, hearing about our mutual friend's history of alcoholism, and hearing about how my offer of a beer, a single beer, might not have been the most loving thing, despite my ignorance of his past, would it have been appropriate in this time to say, hey, it's okay, we all have knowledge, it's fine. We all have knowledge that just one drink is fine, as long as it doesn't go towards drunkenness. Could I justify myself in that instance? Was my theological knowledge, coupled with my lack of knowledge of my friend's past, reason enough to make excuses for myself? This is the wrestle that we have in today's passage. But what's at the center of Christianity? What's at the center of our faith? It's love. It's not knowledge, but love. Knowledge is important, yes, but love takes priority over knowledge. Because in relationships, it's important to know someone. But again, love takes priority. If you're married, yes, you should get to know your spouse, but your marriage is a sham if you know your spouse, but you don't love your spouse. Knowledge is a faulty argument to use here anyway when it comes to idolatry. Since true knowledge of God doesn't just point out things about God and about the world, is that where our faith leads? No, but true knowledge of God results in love for our neighbor. If we truly know God, we will love our neighbor. Following Christ means a double love. We love God. We have a wholehearted devotion to him. That means that we kill idolatry in our hearts. We must do this. But the second part of love is love for our neighbors, which means giving up our rights for the sake of those that might stumble from our use of our rights. Scott Youngman, he summarizes it this way. I like this guy's last name. Do everything out of love for God and people. Restrict the exercise of your rights for the sake of the gospel. This is how he summarizes it. Do everything out of love for God and people. Restrict the exercise of your rights for the sake of the gospel. Now once again, knowledge is not a bad thing. Knowledge leads you to understand that there's only one God. 1 Corinthians 8.4, about eating food sacrificed to idols, then we know that an idol is nothing in this world. The quotes are there because Paul is quoting back to them what they've said to them what they've said to him in their letter to him. And that there's no God but one. That's a good thing. We know this. But knowledge without love lifts people to arrogance. It puffs up, as the passage tells us, as the rest of the Bible tells us, in, in Proverbs as well. And so bad things come out of knowledge without love. Knowledge with love leads you to understand that although there's only one God, Idols and idolatry, they still matter. Because there's more to faith 
There's more to life than just you and the knowledge that you've accumulated. This is me when I graduated from seminary. I purposely chose the photo where I look kind of the funniest. I don't know what's happening there. I'm responding to someone. After a few years of studying, learning, growing in knowledge for all sorts of things, and before getting ordained as a reverend, as a minister, this is me with all of the head knowledge that I've accumulated throughout that time, that I've racked up in my brain. You know, can you see it in my head? I'm surprised that the cap fits, okay? Like, this is how puffed up I was. This is when I was at my most insufferable. I don't know if you've ever had the, the displeasure of knowing someone who's committing themselves to Bible college, but they've only grown in knowledge and not love. I remember wielding this knowledge in ways that were very unloving. During a staff meeting, I was on staff at the time at the church that I was at, with the other pastors at church. I'm the youngest there. I've just graduated, fresh out of Bible college. One of them gives a point of view that I disagree with about an upcoming sermon series. I'm like, oh, I've just learned about this. Let me tell you why you're wrong. And I responded in that way, in a way that was kind of rude, okay? That elevated my knowledge above his. And I was thinking to myself, man, this guy studied like 20 years ago. There's been some development since then. And I responded in a way that was very unloving. I felt like, I felt pretty good in the moment, because I was thinking, I'm going to wow these guys. I'm going to wow these pastors with this, and then we're going to put on the best sermon series ever. You know, this is in my head. And then I see his face, and it's like crumple, you know? I knew I'd done wrong. That I'd spoken in this disrespectful way. I put down this humble man's point of view. He didn't say anything back. This is how humble he was. He was just so nice. But I justified my actions by convincing myself afterwards. But I was right. That I was correcting bad theology in our church. And so once again, knowledge was raised above love. This is probably why I tried to justify myself rather than thinking first about how my actions, about how someone else like Jack was affected by my actions, unknowing or not. True theological knowledge, when you truly know God, it leads us to act in ways which are loving to others rather than offensive to God. So was I right or wrong? That night, was I right or wrong? The knowledge we all agree on is that there is one God. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 to 6, read with me. About eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. Now we agree that all things are from him. We exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. But we don't all agree on idolatry. Not all of us will agree on issues like alcohol, like media with adult themes, like traditional rituals. I think that's okay in the church. I think it's okay for us to have different points of view. Some of us will feel like these are complete no-go zones. Some of us will feel like 
I'm never going to touch any of those things because that's just my conviction in life. Others might feel that these things are okay because these things are nothing in this world. There's only one God. He's given us these things as a gift. The knowledgeable Corinthians have decided this, saying that food sacrificed to idols is not a real thing since there are no real idols. It's just food. This is their argument. It's just food. I could have put something in my belly. Why not this delicious meat that I can't get a hold of otherwise? They're receiving it as a gift from God, not as something that's been used in worship of some idol. This all sounds super reasonable, especially if you're not a vegan. You know, I guess this sounds really reasonable. But the danger is this. With our knowledge, we're in danger of leading our brothers and sisters in Christ into idolatry, into ruin. When a bunch of us were playing poker and drinking a beer in front of our formerly alcoholic brother in Christ, even though we didn't know about his past, because of his history of alcohol abuse and making you know, drunkenness and revelry an idol in his life, we may have been leading him into idolatry since he associated drinking with sin. I don't think he particularly cared that we were drinking in front of him, but for us to offer it to him, I think something happened. Since the rest of us were doing it, since there were workers from the church, older brothers in faith, that he trusted to lead him right, he joined in and he acted against his own conscience. For him, this is wrong. They're saying it's okay, so I'll partake in something that's wrong. Why do we fall victim to idolatry? Do you wonder this? Why do we fall victim to idolatry? All throughout history, one of the most common factors that leads to idolatry was no different from what it is today. Social pressure, peer pressure. It's our peers, it's our families, it's society's expectations of what we should be doing. It's us. What do you do Think about this, what do you do that might be justified in your conscience, but someone without your level of knowledge might be stumbled in their faith? What is it that you partake in? And then what's the solution? What's the solution from there? Should we be telling them, hey, you gotta grow up. You know, you should just get stronger in your faith. It's easy. Is that what we should be doing? This passage tells us that the weak person is ruined, has their conscience wounded by the knowledge of those who believe they are strong. I don't know about you, but when I read about stumbling blocks, it doesn't really strike me as like a stumble is just, oh, okay, okay, I'm okay now, and then I just keep walking. But when it talks about ruined and wounded, I'm like, oh, that, that doesn't sound as good. Like, if my son stumbles, I'm like, yeah, you're okay. You're not crying, stop crying. And then if he's ruined, it's a different story. Verses 11 to 12. So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you're sinning against Christ. Who's Paul talking to here? Does Paul tell the weak, hey, stop stumbling in your faith. Stop stumbling over idolatry. You're sinning against Christ? No, he doesn't. He points all of this out to those who know, 
to those who are strong. He agrees that there's nothing necessarily wrong with the food itself. This is a fascinating thing. He agrees with them. There are no idols. There are no other gods in this world. There's only one God. He agrees with them. But he points out that even in this knowledge, being insensitive to the way that their actions impact others, this is sin against Christ. I've heard all sorts of stuff when it comes to uh, engaging in activities that other Christians might find objectionable. Okay, like, I think I'm young enough that, you know, people have engaged with me over time and have talked to me about the things that they engage in, the things that they do. You know, the, all kinds of reasons for why a Christian might need to partake in certain activities. They tell me these things. They tell me that they need certain things in order to be creative. They tell me that, you know, I like to get drunk with my friends so that they'll continue to accept me, that I can preach the gospel to them one day. This is the reasoning that they give. Or I need to work these insane hours, if you're a little bit older, I need to work these insane hours with my manager so that he sees me and then I can advance my career. These are the reasons that we have. Can you imagine the situation for the Corinthians? Was it, was it easier or harder for them? If we don't eat this food, we won't be able to connect with our neighbors at all. We can't snub the invitation from the pagan temple. They control this region. We need to eat with our patrons because there's literally no other way for us to advance socially. In the ancient world, it was mainly through connecting with wealthier members of society that you could advance, not through hard work. It doesn't matter how hard you work. If you don't know anyone, you're just going to be working hard forever in the bottomless pit that you already work in. Maybe that's not that different from today. Those wealthier members of society, they often had really good connections that could help you out when you get into political, legal, or financial trouble. But Paul's response is the same for us as it was for the Corinthians. Verses eight until the end. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat it, and we're not better if we do eat. This is his response to them when they're saying, no, we need to do this, otherwise we're not gonna advance socially. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you're sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. We should be more concerned about what will please God and what will be beneficial to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Paul's saying to us. Are we so focused on where we land here on earth that we lose sight of not only where we are in God's estimation, but also how his beloved sons and daughters are affected, those people around us? Look, the point is that we shouldn't let our knowledge of our rights and our freedoms become a stumbling block to the weak. Okay, it's pretty straightforward, right? Paul, in this passage, doesn't point out that those who are knowledgeable are necessarily wrong 
in what they're saying they have a right to. But if it's something that could cause someone who doesn't know to stumble, if someone who doesn't believe could see your participation in whatever idol thing that they're doing as affirmation or participation in idolatry, you're leading them astray. Surely this thing should be rejected. It's both subjective and objective at this point. It's not good to cause someone to stumble because this stumble is to fall into idolatry. For those with knowledge, you might hear all of this and, and might react in much the same way that I did years ago, okay? Reasons to justify your actions. You might already be thinking, I know he's talking about this particular area of my life, but he doesn't know these things. And maybe I don't, okay, so let me ask, what is the outcome you're hoping for by participating in whatever it is that you're participating in? Are you hoping that by your actions, people around you will come to land at your level of theology, your maturity in faith, your knowledge? Paul's response shows that oftentimes what actually happens is that the weaker brother or sister feels as though they can just take part in idolatry and that there's a breakdown in true spiritual worship of God instead. They don't grow and mature in their faith from seeing you take part in idolatry. Instead, they get shipwrecked. We might not like the idea of giving up rights, so let's look at what Jesus does. Okay, Matthew 26. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one, arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew a sword. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way. As a beloved son of God, he wields incredible power. He's not going powerless into the cross. He's not getting dragged away, kicking and screaming. Jesus can call upon his father in this moment and request that armies of angels come that he might not be crucified, that those who attack him might be obliterated and yet Jesus, he gives up his rights, even the right to his life, dying for us, the weaker brothers and sisters. And this exemplifies the Christian life for us. Our Lord Jesus laid down his life for our brothers and sisters. Surely for us then, our knowledge can't be held as of higher value than their lives and their consciences. And instead, we must be the ones to lay down our lives. Let's finish with the last verse there. 1 Corinthians 8. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Let me pray for us.
I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit convicts your heart, really speaks to you about where you're at right now, about how you're receiving this message, about how this scripture speaks directly into your life. And if you'll allow me to, I'll pray that prayer. You can say amen in your seats. And then later on, whether during the song or later on today, whenever it is that you want to pray, maybe you can spend some time praying to God, confessing sin, repenting, and asking Him for help. Let me pray for us. Father, as much as we know in this world, as much as we say that you are the one true God, three in one, we know, Lord, that our hearts are given over to idolatry. We know, Lord, because of how defensive our hearts get. When we hear something like this, when we read scripture like this, it makes us want to get up and walk out. It makes us want to say that this isn't about us. It makes us want to block our ears and turn away and say this is just legalistic. Whatever it is that's coming to our minds right now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict our hearts. The things that we participate in in this life, It could be something really overt that we're very, very well aware of, that we know is sin, that we know has become an idol in our lives. It could be something that we weren't aware of before, something that is very in the shadows of our minds, just about our lifestyle, our working habits, our family life, whatever it might be. Whatever it is, Lord, we ask that you would reveal these things to us because you're the only wise God. And we know, Lord, that your wisdom is far above our understanding. We know, Lord, that you have a better way for us. Convict our hearts in this moment. Bring this word to bear in our hearts and help us, Lord, to turn in faith towards you that we might make life about glorifying you and your grace, about loving you for the love, for the sacrifice that you have for us, for the way that your son laid down his rights, his life, dying on our behalf that we might live. And then help us, Lord, to live this out by dying to ourselves, by taking up our cross daily, weaker brothers and sisters around us might live. May we be repentant about stumbling those around us. Help us, Lord, not to fly arrogantly, confidently in your face, seeking to be more and more independent from you, but help us, Lord, to grow in our dependence towards you, to love you more. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.